Good evening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Ooh, the leaves are turning crisp. The cool night air lingers just a little longer each day. And if you haven't noticed, the darkness of night, well, it creeps in just a little earlier each evening. And it's in that darkness that we find ourselves this evening. A lightless landscape, littered with stories of ghosts, ghouls, and glowing lights in the woods. And of course, of monsters and madmen. And even, a Maryland mountain lion. So here to kick us off this evening, is Dakota, from the Old Line State. Hey Derek, uh, this is Dakota, calling from Pasadena, Maryland. And I'm just calling about a weird encounter I had a couple nights ago with what is technically a cryptid. It was around one in the morning and I found a ladybug in my room. And being the animal lover I am, I, I picked it up and I carried it to my back porch to let it go. And I guess I'll preface this by saying recently, my neighborhood in particular has been having problems with uh, coyotes. Uh, more and more people are seeing coyotes and it's in the middle of the suburbs, so it worries people. And I'm not sure what's causing it, but it seems like more and more wild animals are coming into the suburb. Uh, but anyway, I step out onto my back porch with this ladybug, and the first thing I hear distinctly was the scream of a mountain lion. Mountain lions are supposed to be extinct in Maryland. I've heard Black Panther reports, I've even heard reports of mountain lions, but it is not a recognized species here. It was close enough to where I could feel it in my chest. It, it shook me, and I, I turned right around and went right back to my room. I, I was not gonna investigate any further. I hope whatever I heard, I hope I'm mistaken, but I've spent a lot of time in the woods and I know just about any call out there in North America. And I'm 99.9% .9 sure I heard a puma screeching in my suburban neighborhood. And, and that's all. It's uh, not as out there as a lot of the calls you get, but I still think it's, it's definitely creepy. Anyway, uh, thanks for the show. Thanks, Dakota. Now, any long-time listener can tell you that this isn't the first time we've discussed these mysterious felines, possibly prowling the foothills of Maryland. In fact, on Season 10, Episode 14, we discussed Mark's call, a strange experience on the Virginia-Maryland state line, an experience I somehow spun to include these mysterious cats. In fact, in the discussion of that call, I even shared the following clip of terrifying local news coverage. WJZ is following some breaking news. A mountain lion sighting is reported in Prince George's County this afternoon. Police are on the scene now searching the area. Apparently a citizen was walking in Greenbelt Park when they spotted what looked like a mountain lion and reported it to police. They say an animal did not appear aggressive and was just walking in the park. The park is closed as a precaution and visitors in the area are told to shelter in place. Now that clip was courtesy of WJZ. CBS News 13 out of Baltimore. And this one is particularly spooky because officials felt the need to close down the park. So it's hard to imagine that they didn't take the report seriously. Then, not long after that initial report, 
WJZ updated their story. Well, it turns out a mountain lion reported in Prince George's County was likely a coyote. Park police say someone reported seeing what looked like a mountain lion at Greenbelt Park. That person says the animal did not appear aggressive. The park is closed as a precaution and people in that area were told to shelter in place. Officers are now trying to find the animal. They say they found tracks that indicate it was a coyote. Well, I guess that sort of burst some bubbles, didn't it? And it seems to be quite the response for a single coyote. But then again, back east, they treat animal encounters a lot different than we do here in the West. For example, Griffith Park in Los Angeles is home to several mountain lions. Confirmed. One of them's even famous. Shout out to P-22. But that certainly doesn't stop folks from running up and down the steep slopes in workout garb at all hours of the day and night. Could you imagine them closing that trail, or any other out here, because a civilian saw a mountain lion? Well, anyway, for all the jumping to conclusions and overreacting Maryland officials did, maybe, just maybe, they had a reason to be concerned. I'm about to share a portion of audio that is relevant to both of those videos. And it was posted on YouTube on January 8th of 2016. A video that seems to show a large black cat slinking through a snow-covered patch of trees. The video was originally posted by Dak Mack on YouTube. Uh, we're right off Valley Road here. There's a black panther in the woods. Right here in the field. It ain't no cat, it's a black panther. And I'm not playing. There it is. Right off Valley Road, right at the city county line. You can see the big long tail on it. That ain't a little cat. For all the people that say they don't exist. There they are, right? There's one right there. Now you can actually lay eyes on this beast by visiting the show notes at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com or by clicking on the link in the description of tonight's episode. Now, I'm not sure what was depicted in the video. Some glimpses reminded me of a simple house cat, while others made me think of something a little larger, a little more exotic. And maybe, just maybe, this is the same thing that both Mark and Dakota saw those days in Maryland. Whatever the thing is. Thanks again for the entry. Now, before we move on to tonight's next call, if you have a story you think would be perfect for Monsters Among Us, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. Now, next up, we venture back to the state of Arkansas, where Jennifer as a ghost story waiting for us. Hi, this is Jennifer from Arkansas, and I just started listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago. I love it. Been binging it. I have a couple of strange stories. Growing up, 
Um, I live in a very, well, lived in a very rural area of southern Arkansas, and my home was surrounded by woods. You couldn't see any roads or anything like that. Well, um, my aunt, who's now passed, she could sense things in our home, around our home. Um, I didn't know until I was older the things that she saw because my mother didn't tell me. Obviously, she didn't want to scare me, but my aunt said once that she saw a woman in our hallway who was in all white and had a badly burnt face. And what's funny is I never actually saw a full-bodied apparition like that, but um, I would see flashes of white, like a white dress, go by my windows outside. And once my mother saw a little girl in white that she said looked exactly like me when I was around five and this was when I was much older so she couldn't have mistaken it for me because I was a teenager at the time but she said she looked exactly like me except I have really dark brown eyes and this child had blue eyes so you know my brother and I would come home and find drawers in the kitchen and doors cabinet doors all wide open we didn't hear anything see anything we had a few things like just fly off of high shelves that, I mean, just like flew off, like someone threw them off. So that was weird too. But the weirdest and I guess scariest thing that ever happened in my house was I grew up in a very religious home and my mother had been going through some struggles. My aunt passed suddenly at a you know relatively young age and it wasn't expected and they were very, very close. So, you know, it was hard on everyone and my mother was grieving a lot. So my dad and some other people from our church just all gathered to have prayer. And my best friend was with me. And to our backs was a staircase that went to my upstairs room. And at the same time, we're praying over my mother and my friend and I at the same time. It was like a jolt of like lightning in your brain. And you just felt something. You felt hate. It was pure unadulterated, I hate you, why are you doing this, in my brain. And it shocked me. And I saw in my mind's eye just this black cloud with this horrible, evil, sneering face kind of like crawling up the stairs. And I just knew as soon as I turned to look that I was going to see that, but I was compelled to look. And I looked behind me and I see just a flash of a shadow and it's gone. My best friend, who's also very kind of spiritual, I just said, did you feel that? And she just said, mm-hmm. And that was it. And it was gone. And that was probably the scariest thing that ever happened in the house. But anyway, thanks for listening to my submission. Hope it gets aired. Hope you can use it. Love the show. You're doing great. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jennifer. Now, it sounds like there is a lot of activity packed into a small space out that way. And it was just last week that we proposed that the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, might just be the most haunted hotel in America. But if you're wondering where the state stacks up to the other 49, 
in regards to being most haunted. I dug up this Forbes magazine article in which they count down the top 10 most haunted states based on data accumulated from the website Ghosts of America. Their order is as follows, beginning with number 10. Virginia, New York, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, California, and number one is Texas. Now perhaps you're surprised to see that Arkansas was not listed, or perhaps you see these statistics the same way I do. You see, you need two things for a ghost sighting, a ghost and a person to see it. And this list is essentially a glorified popularity contest. Eight of these top ten states coincidentally also fall in the top twelve of the most populated states in the country. Remember, you need witnesses to constitute paranormal activity. And each of these states have plenty of those. I tried and failed to find a list based on reports per capita. Somebody should probably slap that thing together. Anyway, thank you, Jennifer, for reminding us that Arkansas deserves its 15 minutes of paranormal fame. Now, next up, we've entered to another state that probably should have been on that list. Florida. Yes, I'd just like to share this story. It's uh, kind of haunted me most of my life. I'm 42 now. I grew up in Bradenton, Florida. I lived uh, just down the street from marina there when i was in between fifth and sixth grade uh, my mother and i had a, a really large fight you know there's a lot of turmoil in you know, kidneys teens single parents really low income it was, it was pretty messy as a kid uh life my mom and i had this really really like you know yelling match just i mean just really fierce i, I can't describe like you know you could feel the anger left after she left and she, she did. She took off, and I was sitting there just watching television, just steaming, just mad. And about, I'm looking across the room right now, and probably five or six feet from me, I watched this shadow figure exit a center wall in the house, just walks right out of the wall, and goes five, six feet from me. And then uh, right into the the adjacent wall. And I don't use drugs, never did, don't drink. You, you absolutely have to understand that this was real. It wasn't something I imagined. Uh, I, I had, it, it, it happened fast, but it happened slow enough to where I could blink. And, and I remember trying to, because I was aware that my brain can play tricks on me. I'm, I'm not a fool. I understand that, yes, you can have such things as optical illusions. Uh, you know, there are certain things that the human brain can do to us that would trick us. Uh, and so I, I was aware of that even then, and I closed my eyes, opened them, and I, it was it was absolutely real. It looked like a male. It was a dark consistency. It, very, it, it, it wasn't like, a, uh, like an apparition. It, it was very much solid form, even though you could kind of see through it. I don't know how to describe that any better than that, but it was absolutely real. It absolutely felt like a male presence. It did not come at me. It walked 
right past me. It didn't even acknowledge my existence. It was the strangest thing. It didn't even care that I was there. So that's my story. It's absolutely true. I, I've taught high school, and I would I like to ask uh, around Halloween my students if they've had stories. And you know, I think they think sometimes when I share that story that I'm making it up. It's absolutely real. I wasn't making it up. It's confused me for most of my life. I didn't see how it's possible then, and I don't see how it's possible now. Uh, thank you. Thank you, caller. That's the thing about these creepy entities. You never know when they're going to show up. And unlike your traditional ghosts, these things don't seem to be tied to any one location or legend. And I suppose that makes them even creepier. And lends to the belief that they were never human to begin with. Which I can't speak for you, but to me is a terrifying concept. Thanks again, caller. Now, I can't recall hearing about shadow entities appearing from solid walls, but I'll certainly keep my ears open. Okay, like last week, I'll do my best to keep these announcements as quick as I possibly can. Be a lamb. Join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Over there, you can get 50 plus bonus episodes and much more each month all for the low, low price of $4 a month. And if that's not your favorite cookie, why not maybe grab some merchandise from our shop at monstersamongus.com forward slash shop. We have shirts, hats, patches, bags, pins, posters, and much, much more. And you also have until October 2nd, 2021 to pre-order a Monsters Among Us hoodie. Again, that's monstersamongus.com forward slash shop. And real quick, don't forget that the posters come autographed by me, myself, and I. And a portion of each sale is donated to the Navajo Water Project, a nonprofit aimed at bringing running water to every household in North America, beginning with our friends at the Navajo Nation. Well, that was fairly quick. So now, how about a little brush with death? The following was submitted by Leanne from the state of South Carolina. Hi, Derek. My name is Leanne. I am from South Carolina. I've recently discovered your podcast, and I have kind of started at the beginning and have been working my way forward and really enjoy it. I wanted to share a story that happened when I was quite young. Um, I would say it was the late 80s because I was five. Well, backstory, lived in an area where my grandparents were next door. I had a very young family, so my great-grandparents were still alive. And my great-grandpa was coming over that particular day to pick me up to spend the night. Well, he got there and kind of chatted with my parents a little bit and then said, you know, I just don't think tonight's a good night to spend the night. So he didn't let me come over. And, you know, being a kid, I threw a fit and I cried. Well, he left. And on his way home, he was hit and killed by a drunk driver. He was hit on the passenger side where I would have been sitting because back then, you know, kids didn't sit in car seats and we sat in the front seat and what we did. So very good chance that I would have been gravely injured or probably killed. So my grandmother had to be told that her dad had passed away in such a tragic way. And um, she went through what they call 
a nervous breakdown back then and was prescribed a lot of medications that gave her a lot of side effects and prescribed more medications that gave her more side effects. And so she went through just a terrible, terrible time. I was five. It was the summer before kindergarten. Um, I lived next door to her, so I actually spent every day with her during this time. She had a lot of mood swings. She just went through just a terrible, terrible time, and I just felt drawn to her. I felt like I needed to be with her. Um, I was an only child, so I would just walk over to her house every day, and and I would be there for her. Well, she had a particularly bad day and um, decided to go lay down and take a nap, and so I decided do the same. We were alone in the house, just she and I. And I laid down on her couch on my side facing the uh, vertical part of the couch, the vertical cushions, and went to kind of pull the blanket, little throw blanket up around my body. And I felt her help me. I didn't hear her come in the room, but I felt her help me. It was kind of like a loving, like I could feel her pulling the covers up. And so I I turned over to say thank you. And there was nobody there. I wasn't asleep. I had just laid down and was in the process of getting comfortable when this happened. And I wasn't scared. It was just so odd. It was more like a shock that no one was there. I wasn't scared. And I like to think that my grandpa not letting me go with him, which had never happened before, And then this incident was just somebody looking out for me, and um, it was definitely supernatural. I can't think of any possible explanation, because the the second I felt those hands tucking me in, I I rolled over, and and there was not a soul there. So the land that she lived on and my parents still live on has been in the family since the late 1800s, and we would often find um, arrowheads and other really cool things. So I think there's some historical significance there. A lot of really creepy things happen, which I may call later and share. But um, this one is just one of my favorite stories because I think it's pretty powerful and special. And um, I just wanted to share it with you. I do love your podcast. I hope that um, it goes on for years to come. You do a wonderful job and thank you for what you do. Have a good day. Thank you, Leanne. That is a wild story. And it's a perfect example of how fragile life can be. You know, if you boil all this down, Leanne was possibly one single word away from meeting her demise. If her great-grandfather had simply uttered the word yes, she may not be here to submit this unsettling account. You know, that's enough to drive anyone mad. Imagining times that you yourself came as close as Leanne did to that final curtain. Or maybe that's just me. Either way, thanks Leanne for sharing the entry. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's no secret that the past year has been tough on us all. So there's no time like the present to put more focus on your mental health. Is there something interfering with your happiness? or preventing you from achieving your goals. I've been there. I've struggled with depression, trauma, and grief. And I can tell you from experience, speaking to a professional can be extremely helpful. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is right for you. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. No need to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can start communicating in under 48 hours and send messages to your counselor anytime, or even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. 
Now keep in mind, BetterHelp is not a crisis line and is not self-help. But instead, you will find counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, family conflicts, grief, and LGBTQ plus matters, and so much more. Now, BetterHelp is available worldwide and at a more affordable price than the traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is also available. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. And as a Monsters Among Us listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the spooky stuff. Now, have you ever been traveling and found yourself in a location that just didn't feel right? Well, Nate from Florida and that exact same experience. Hi, Derek. It's Nate from Orlando. Uh, My story takes place in Copenhagen, Denmark, which I know to be a very haunted city. My wife and I were kind of doing some traveling around Scandinavia, and when we got to Copenhagen, uh, we stayed in a hotel called the Hotel Bethel. It's an old sailor's church that is now a hotel. The building's really old. The hallways were very creaky, very loud, echoey. You could hear your uh, neighbors in the other rooms coming in and out of the stairs. Um, They had motion sensor lights in the hallway. So we're there in June, and it's very hot. We did not expect it to be as hot as it was for summer in Scandinavia. And I was having trouble sleeping one night. And uh, I'm laying on the side of the bed facing the door. And I notice that the light flicks on in the hallway, but I can't hear anybody. I haven't heard my neighbors, nobody. So I noticed that's that's weird, motion light going on, no sounds, whatever. I kind of just lay there on my side and continue watching the door. Now there's about an inch gap at the bottom of the door letting the light in. It was then that uh, I would say this is probably around by about midnight, 1230, somewhere in there. I notice the shadow of two footsteps as as if somebody were to walk directly up to the door and stand there, uh, no knocking, no nothing. Still, again, uh, light is on, no creaking, absolutely nothing. Uh, I woke up my wife, I shook her awake, I point, she looks, she acknowledges it and goes straight back to bed. And I didn't think anything of it. After a little while, the light goes off, I didn't see the feet or anything. Um, the, the next night, again, having trouble sleeping, light flickers on, I can see the feet by the door. Again, probably this one's a little later, maybe 1 a.m., 1.30, but it freaked me out. I ended up uh, asking the uh, hotel clerk on our way out if this place was known to be haunted. She didn't know of anything. I've tried to Google it, but yeah, it was it was a just a weird, weird experience. Again, didn't really have any direct contact, never saw any people, but just those, those shadowy, shadowy feet underneath the gap of that door was... Uh, one of the weirdest experiences I've had. Thank you for the show, and um, you have a great night. And you can add that example for reasons I dislike staying at hotels. Too much coming and going by both the living and apparently the dead. Now, I wish I could add more here, but Nate is absolutely correct. There's virtually no information out there 
about the Hotel Bethel and any ties it has to the supernatural. So maybe one of our many listeners in Denmark can help shine some light on that little mystery. Until then, thanks again, Nate, for sharing. I actually think shedding light is the problem for this next caller. So please welcome Jensen from, you guessed it, Arkansas. Hey, man. My name's Jensen. Um, I'm from Arkansas. Um, I live up in the Ozark Mountains, a very rural community. I'm not really into a lot of paranormal stuff or anything like that, um, so I wasn't really looking um, for anything weird to happen, but this is kind of the one thing that's happened that I've never been able to figure out an explanation for. Um, there is a lot of weird stuff that does happen around here, even though most people don't talk about it. So this happened about 10 years ago. Um, I don't remember the season. It was probably summertime because we were outside when it happened and it gets kind of cold at night during the winter here. But um, I had a buddy. He lived north of town on this little rural two-lane highway that really went nowhere. Not a lot of traffic, especially at night when this happened. And there's a little dirt road just up from his house. Um, my family cemetery is on that dirt road. So we would go out at nighttime, like 10, 11, midnight. And at the corner of that dirt road and the highway, we kind of had like a fort thing built out in the woods. And we just kind of go hang out up there. So anyways, we played this dumb game where uh, we'd lay a flashlight out on the edge of the highway. And we'd kind of sit around and wait for a car to go by, which didn't happen very often, probably five to ten times a night. And uh, when a car went by, if we saw him slowing down or hit the brakes or try to pull into the next uh, driveway to when they'd see the flashlight that we'd laid on the ground, uh, we would run out and get the flashlight and turn it off and go hide in the woods right by the road. And then wait for him to come back and uh, I guess just listen, you know, see if they'd pull over kind of we just thought it was funny um, it's a pretty stupid game but it would entertain us for hours and hours and uh, we did that a lot growing up as teenagers so anyways one night we were walking back down the highway um, back to his house which was probably like 200 yards from the corner of the dirt road where we used to hang out and whenever we'd see cars or whatever we'd always hide because I don't know, we just did. It seems to be kind of like what boys do when they're playing outside. They try to hide from cars and all that. And uh, So we're walking back down the highway. And all of a sudden, there's this big light behind us. And so we all in, just instinctually jump off into the woods, into the ditch, you know, to, to hide. Because it's almost like a, out of nowhere, cars come up right behind us. Uh, maybe like 100 foot behind us is how close that light was. But no car passed, obviously, because it wasn't a car, and uh, we would have heard a car come in. It wasn't a flashlight, or, you know, it wasn't someone sneaking up on us and shining a light at us, because the light was like a, it was like a, a glow. It wasn't like a beam of light, like a headlight or a flashlight. So I didn't see the source of the light. It all happened real fast. I remember the light was behind us, I don't know if I'd seen that, said that, but uh, I remember kind of looking over my, my left shoulder, uh, but I didn't look all, I didn't turn around all the way, but I remember kind of seeing in my peripherals that all the trees 
on the side of the road, all the big oak trees and all the timber. The light was way up on them too, kind of like a big fire would be, something like that. Um, it was glowing all around us almost. But the source of it, I could tell, was behind us. And it lasted maybe five seconds, as best I recall. You know, it was 10 years ago now. And then it kind of just disappeared as quickly as it came. You know, so we all got out of the ditch and kind of looked at each other and then ran back to his house. We were definitely scared. Um, we sat there on his porch for a couple hours and kind of talked about what it could have been and couldn't have been. And we never really got a good what it could have been. So I was just calling in to see if someone else had a, something happen like that or if you could tell me, you know, I've heard I've heard a story like this or whatever. But anyways, I called... Uh, I called my buddies a couple of days ago to, because it's been on my mind a lot lately, just to ask them and make sure I hadn't fabricated some big lie up in my head over these years or you know whatever. And they were all like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know what it was still, and you know, I still think about it sometimes." And so I don't really have a good explanation, but I'd like one. I'm kind of worried that maybe the explanation is something I wouldn't necessarily like, but uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Thank you, sir. We used to shoot bottle rockets out in front of cars as they drove past. We'd hide in the weeds beyond the bank. You know, we were never close enough to hit them. But, truth be told, we were probably not close enough to get the reaction we wanted either. No one ever seemed to hit their brakes, from what I recall. Anyway, you guys know me. I typically like to explain one mystery with another, but today I'm going to answer one mystery with another call. So check out Stephen's entry from Bordering, Texas. Yo, what's up, Derek? This is Stephen from Lubbock, Texas. My story happened back in 2008, probably about May or June, I'm not too sure, probably May right before school ended because uh, I was a sophomore at the time. I was hanging out with my buddy D. So me and D were hanging out at his house. It's a Friday. His parents go out of town and they would always hide the truck keys from us because we didn't have a driver's license or anything at the time. But naturally we found it and took it for a joyride, took the truck for a joyride. And uh, we pick up my girlfriend at the time we're cruising around, hanging out. We had to take her back pretty early before the sun had set. And we drop her off. And like I said, the sun hadn't set yet. It's like dusk. It's setting. It's still some time. You know, still a little bit of light out. And we're driving down the uh, residential roads back to the main street. And we're driving. I'm not paying attention much. I think I'm probably sending out a text message. And I felt the truck stop, so I look up. And I just see this bright, bright, incredibly bright purple light shining down from the sky in front of us. And I'm immediately like, hey, do you, do you see that? And he's like, yeah, what is that? Neither of us know. And at the time, I don't know why, neither of us looked up. Like we could have stuck our head out the window or looked out the, the front window, the windshield, but... None of us thought to do that. And then 
the light starts coming towards us and it engulfs the truck. I can't see anything. I can't see anything in front of me. I can't see out the windshield. I can't see my friend D. All I can see is purple. And then next thing I know, we're down the street, past the stop sign that was in front of us, parked in the middle of the road there. And it's already dark, like the, the sun had already set. And both of us, you know, not freak out, but like, whoa, what was that? You know, it wasn't scary or anything. I, and I don't know if it was like a UFO per se or anything, but maybe on we also thought maybe it was like a military craft, but there isn't really anything. I don't, I, not that we know of. There's not a military base around here. There used to be a Reese Air Force base, but that's been shut down forever and it's been completely converted into a uh, junior college. So we don't know. We're like almost 30 now. And we talked about it recently and we both remember the same thing, that purple light. But yeah, that's my story. I'm not too sure what happened, but... Yeah, appreciate your time. Love the podcast. I'm addicted. Got addicted from my Patreon brother showing me. I'll probably call back. My family has a bunch of crazy stuff that's happened to them. All right, man. Thanks. Take it easy. Thanks, Stephen. Maybe not identical, but eerily similar. And something worth noting. Purple isn't a color that I recall being assigned to many UFOs, at least based on past reports. Trust me, I did a Google search. But to be fair, there's a strain of hot pepper called the chili purple UFO, and it looks a little like a radish or a turnip, and it seems to be a mild pepper, 30,000 to 50,000 Scoville. Anyway, whenever you Google purple UFOs, you're met with a mouth-watering display of plump purple peppers. But that's when I felt the challenge begin to sink in. I had to find an actual purple UFO. Now you can find the spoils of my triumph in tonight's show notes in the form of a multi-light object filmed over rural Maine. A purple UFO. But you know, I think I can still squeeze one more call into this package. One more aerial anomaly into tonight's broadcast. So please join me in welcoming David from Connecticut to the program. Hey, my name is David from uh, Portland, Connecticut. I usually don't ever do this, but I've been inspired by your show. I was probably 12 or 13 me and a couple of my friends were in front of the Portland Library. We were actually panhandling so we could buy probably candy. And I happened to look up and I see a solid blue ball that was dull, not shiny. Reminded me of a racquetball hovering right above the library. I couldn't tell how big or how high, but I alerted my friends we looked up, we all saw it. We were telling adults to look up. They kind of paid no mind to it. And I can't remember how it ended. I think we just ended up walking away, but I could never explain it. I, I don't know what weather balloons look like. I don't think they stay still. It was just not moving. 
I said dull blue ball. No idea. Thank you. Thanks, David. Most of the weather balloons I've seen were longer slash taller than wide, shaped more like a prophylactic than a traditional balloon. Then again, I'm far from a balloon expert of any level. Thanks again, gentlemen, for sharing your intriguing entries. Now, folks, I have a couple more stories at the ready for you. But before we venture on, this next story involves discussion of suicide. So if you'd like to skip it and my related, though necessary, banter afterward, skip forward about five minutes. For everyone else, please welcome Cheyenne to the program. Hey, my name is Cheyenne, Hampshire. I'm calling with actually an uplifting kind of ghost story. I don't know if it counts as a ghost story, but I have this friend that I've known since we were children were in like second grade I think that's what we met and she had a boyfriend that she dated for a while and they were going to get married it was a whole thing and then they broke up and it was on and off and he was the nicest guy he was like the sweetest guy you'd ever meet but he suffered from depression and I want to say our senior year of high school so like 2014 ish he committed suicide and it was really, really hard on her, and it was horrific, and it was really hard on everyone. I had only met him a few times, but the few times that I met him, I remember him being like a total sweetheart. He always made her so happy, and they were having so much fun together all the time. So a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe two, three years ago, I was house-sitting for my sister while she was away, and... I went to bed, everything's normal, I was watching TV, went to sleep, and I woke up in the morning, and I remember, I mean, it was a dream, but I remember waking up and seeing her prior fiancé um, that had killed himself, he was sitting on the bed next to me, and I was like, whoa, hi, what are you doing here? And he said something along the lines of, I just wanted you to let her know that I'm okay. And I was like, wait how are you here? You're not alive. And he said, just let, I'll call her Megan, let Megan know that I'm okay. Everything's fine. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And I woke up and I immediately texted her and I let her know what happened. And she was like, wow, that's so strange. I mean, thank you. But it was so weird because it was at least a year after his suicide. You know, usually these stories come up when it's the same night or something. I'm wondering if maybe it just took him a while to pass. Like maybe he has things, some unfinished business or something. And before he left, he wanted to let her know. I don't know why he would choose me. Maybe it was just a weird dream, weird, sad, very, very, very vivid dream. But I would like to think that it was actually him coming to visit and to say like, hey, everything's cool, don't worry about me, tell her to be happy and live her life and that I'm a-okay. I don't know, it was kind of uplifting and sweet and I let her know and both kind of were emotional about it, but I remember he had these beautiful crystal blue eyes. And in my dream, he had those beautiful crystal blue eyes and I was like, this is the weirdest, how are you here? So that's my story. 
kind of nice and uplifting, and it was sweet. It was different, but it was sweet. All right, you're doing a great job with the podcast. I'll call back with more adventures, stories, and whatnot. All right, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Cheyenne. You know, having had my own similar surreal dream, I can empathize with your confusion. Some of the details just seem too oddly specific to simply be my imagination. And it's incredibly difficult to convince yourself it wasn't a real experience. Because maybe it was. Well, at any rate, I chose to share this call because four years ago this week, my brother took his own life. The shocking and tragic loss my family experienced will be just below the surface for us for the rest of our lives. Now, I say none of this for your pity or your thoughts or prayers, though I appreciate the gestures. I share our experience in hopes that it will reach the poor soul out there clinging to whatever they think they have left. So I'm asking that anyone in those shoes dig deep down, make a phone call, contact a friend, ask for help, or at the very least try one of the many social services available to us. I'm certainly not a professional, so I'll refrain from giving mental health advice. But please know the world needs you here. Well, if you can't tell, that is a subject I do not like talking about. So, let's move on to something a little more palatable. So here, to round this monster out, is Lewis. And if I tell you what state he's from, do you think you can guess the phenomena? Well, here's Lewis's entry from the state of New Mexico. Hey, Derek, how's it going, man? My name is Lewis. I have uh, two skinwalker stories for you. Uh, they did not happen to me, but they were told by family and friends. The first one is my girlfriend's grandma. She was traveling north from Gallup, New Mexico, on 491 towards Shiprock, New Mexico. And, you know, she said she was driving late at night. It happened a couple years ago. Just driving home, you know. I think she was maybe in Phoenix or something, just driving through. She says she was just driving driving down the road, and she says she uh, had this animal-looking thing just run through her hood and step on top of her roof on her car and run right off of it. In the middle of 491, she said she was going about 70, 75 miles an hour. And that animal just came through, jumped on her roof, jumped on her hood, and then out the back. And she said she did not stop. She just kept going. And she was like, nope, I'm not doing it. And she just, you know, kept driving. And that was in north of Gallup, New Mexico on 491, which is, quote me if I'm wrong, it's the old uh, Route 666 highway. But I think they changed it to 491. The second story, it happened to a buddy of mine outside Bloomfield, New Mexico. It's called the Nappy Highway, which is going like on 550 South, heading towards like Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's kind of like a side road to, you know, like a like a frontage road kind of. And he said uh, one of his buddies were driving there. They were heading towards Albuquerque, I believe. It was getting dark kind of like right now in the winter time where you know it gets dark around five o'clock you know the sun starts going down he said they were just driving down the road and this like coyote 
just ran in front of his truck and he told his buddy, hey, did you see that? He's like, yeah, dude, it looked like a coyote. So, you know, they just kept driving, right? You know, they didn't pay no attention to it. Like, oh, well, coyote, whatever. Well, my buddy looks in the right mirror and he sees that coyote animal running right next to the truck. I mean, like he said, like, dude, he was like right next to me. And he started speeding up and he said he was going about 60, 65. And, you know, that road is not really a high mile forever road. So he said he was just hauling butt. And that coyote just was like right next to their window and they can see it. And the buddy was like, just like, I don't want to look at it. I ain't looking at it. And my buddy was just scared out of his life. He's just like going. And then eventually, I guess, the you know, the animal just kind of like turned off and just ran into the hills or whatever. But there for a second, man, it followed them like same speed as the truck down the nappy highway and then just darted off into the freaking hills. And that happened in, uh, again, northwest New Mexico, San Juan Basin. So thanks, man. Hope you like the story. Bye. Thanks, Lewis. Okay, raise your hand if you had skinwalkers. Come on. I know at least a few of you are lying. Anyway, we meet this creature again. These skinwalker tales pop up from time to time. And as fascinating as they are, they're also a bit frustrating to discuss. Because the legend varies from telling to telling. And it's difficult to know if the person you're getting the information from as any kind of authority on the subject whatsoever. So let's instead focus on another spooky part of Lewis's entry. The mention of the Devil's Highway. U.S. Route 666. That 194-mile stretch of highway, sprawling from southwest Colorado into Utah and winding its way to Gallup, New Mexico. That road is infamous for strange and terrifying activity. Truckers speak of phantom passengers, warning them of dangers ahead. Others tell of time-warping mists that set them back hours or move them ahead days. And other travelers speak of a spectral black automobile, a vehicle infamously known as Satan's sedan. In the pitch darkness, some travelers of 666 have claimed to have been harassed by Satan's sedan. Witness accounts are usually quite similar. They describe how while driving alone down the seemingly endless stretch of desert and the black of night, they suddenly see a set of headlights in their rearview mirror, far off in the distance. As the lonely driver continues forward into the night, they notice the car is gaining ground on them quickly. Some panic at the astonishing speed of the oncoming vehicle and speed up. No matter how fast they go in an attempt to put distance between them and the oncoming vehicle, it continues to gain on them at a supernatural speed. For some, the dark car follows very closely on their bumper, while still others have had the vehicle pass them at incredible speeds. Some travelers have been driven off the road by the car as they veered to avoid collision with it. Witnesses describe this car as an old, dark, black sedan. The demon car has also been witnessed going out of sight by turning a corner or going over a small hill and simply disappearing. The ghostly automobile has been linked to at least five deaths, according to Dr. Teicher an investigator that has logged accidents along the road for over 10 years. Now that segment is property of Things Unknown on YouTube. Then there are these spectral hounds, these red-eyed beasts that are said to belong to the devil and roam the lengths of the road in search of souls to drag to hell. 
and what is a haunted and or cursed stretch of highway without a lady in white legend. The story goes that a young Native American girl is said to wander the narrow strip that cuts through the southwest desert. Now she looks too young to be walking alone, so as a passerby you stop to see if she needs help. But before you can get your window down to ask, she simply vanishes among the sage and creosote bush, or whatever lives in that area. But you know it's the name that really draws attention to the road. And according to the Book of Revelations, the number 666 is a symbol that represents the devil. A mark of the beast, if you will. So naturally, a road named after this number gets its fair share of comparisons and reputations. So much so that in 2003, the name of the highway was changed to 491. The following article is some of the only media coverage I could find that covered that road name change. Its number was up. Some people consider 666 a sign of evil. The number of the beast in the New Testament book of Revelations. That's why Tulane US 666 through the Four Corners area, named because it was the sixth spur off of US 66, is now US 491. The road's satanic connotation caused such a protest among the Navajo whose New Mexico lands had crossed, that Governor Bill Richardson announced the name change last June. But old 666 was never a highway to hell. It went to Utah. Now that quick blurb was courtesy of National Geographic and was published in 2003. You know, it's also said that the number of fatalities on this road have dropped since the renaming. Now, is that a result of the additional infrastructure updates that came along with the new name? You see, much of the roadway was not only paved, but widened and extended to four lanes instead of two, a move that is statistically known to reduce accidents. Or was that negative cloud lifted? Has the numeric spell been broken? Now, it's worth noting that there are at least a dozen other Route 666s in the world. There's one in Belgium, Canada has two, Ireland, Italy, the Philippines, Sweden, and the UK. And here in Florida, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Texas, and right down the road from my little old hometown in Ohio. Now I'll leave you with the following thought. The numeric name of this highway isn't the only presumed source of the curse. Some claim that the road is cursed because it spanned the Native American reservation, desecrating sacred sites and giving the gods road rage like you wouldn't believe. So what is in a name? Thank you again, Lewis, for the eerie entry. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you have a spare couple minutes, please consider giving us a rate and review over at Apple iTunes. Five stars and a few kind words go a long way to help the show grow. The terrifying score you hear in tonight's episode was provided by Co.ag Music, Mark Vander Mullen, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much 
for listening. And until next week. Now, for those that are just finding out, we do a bonus story if you stick around to the end of the broadcast. And tonight's secret story comes to us from Washington State, where Sonya has something quite unusual for us to hear. Hi. My friend actually convinced me to do this because I told her her story and she told me about this podcast. My name is Sonya. This was at the end of August in 2019 near Dugan Falls in Washington. I was camped out. There's a campground right next to the waterfall. And uh, I camped there about a week before, but I slept in my van. Now I had an urge to get back there and I came back maybe a week later. And this time I kind of set up my tent without the rain fly so I could look at the trees and the stars above at night when I fell asleep. And uh, yeah, I I had great dream. I was having this conversation. It wasn't a verbal one. It was more of a, a conceptual type of conversation. And I woke up to me laughing, just busting up laughing. I mean, the person in my dream was just making me laugh really hard. And I woke up. And I was looking at these, I think they're sequoias. They're just very, very large trees. And I was looking up at them because I felt some energy from over there. And all of a sudden I got this thought from this same, you know, this person that was talking to me in my dream saying, "Uh uh-oh, you're not supposed to see me. And all of a sudden two of the trees right in front of me, these tall sequoias, I believe they're sequoias, they started walking off as if, you know, their legs. And... And that was it. (laughs) I was completely awake. And then it took me a while to go back to sleep. I Googled it. Can't find anything. It wasn't creepy. I actually felt very uh, welcomed. And there was like a protective kind of energy in that entire area. Yeah. So that's my story. I haven't been able to find anything online. So it makes me kind of think I'm crazy but thought it was worth a shot there you go yeah it was end of August 2019 in Dugan Falls Washington yeah no full moon though it's pretty dark there you have it thank you Sonya you know a quick google search produces several quote unquote walking tree videos now I've linked to a pair that both showed large trees shimmying back and forth in the distant tree line well, these are tall trees and They seem to be moving quite quickly. But we cannot see the trunks on either of these videos, which leads me to believe there is some massive logging equipment to blame, rather than some woodland monster. But I know that's not why you're here. To see a couple goofy videos of tree-moving equipment. You want encounters. Encounters like this one, from Lon Strickler and phantomsandmonsters.com.
Back in the early 90s, I went with a group to Silver Falls Springs in Oregon. One night after dinner, I went for a stroll to find a clear spot so I can see the stars. After about 20 minutes of sitting quietly and contemplating the sky and stars, a breeze blew through and rustled all the trees and branches around the clearing. As the wind gently shook the trees, something caught my eye in my peripheral. I looked to my right, and there it was. Just for a second or two, I saw what could be best described as a walking tree. Its limbs were long and thin. It could probably touch the ground if it just relaxed its arms down. There didn't seem to be a distinction or separation between the torso and the hip area. The legs looked like a pair of articulated tree trunks with no discernible feet and had patches of moss randomly covering its torso and legs and was about 20 feet in height. It was also holding what could be described as a long, baseball-like club in its right hand going over its shoulder. I saw it take three long, deliberate steps in a spot where the clearing met the trees. And what sent a chill down my spine and made me freeze for what seemed like a moment of forever in that second was that it seemed like it turned its head and looked right at me and where I was sitting as it took its third step and re-entered the forest. I just sat there for another ten minutes feeling frozen in place going over what I had just saw. I shook that frozen feeling and I got to my feet and went back to the cabin. And when I think about it, it still haunts me to this day. Now that story was submitted by Michael, again to Phantoms and Monsters. Now I'd found a few other brief mentions of Native American legends in the Pacific Northwest of a race of tree people, protectors of the forest. But honestly, who knows? But look at it this way, Sanya. At least, you're not alone. Thank you for sharing that entry with us. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.